African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue. Uh, you're listening to Channel Africa, uh, the African Perspective. I'm your host, Benjamin Mushatama. Remember, I'm with you from 11 o'clock Central African Time until uh, midday Central African Time, right here on our shortwave frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. We're also on DSTV Channel 802. Uh, you can also get us on our, uh, our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. That's where you can stream us uh, live. Well, today on the program, we've been looking at one very big issue, very one uh, theme uh, this particular week, which is looking at uh, developmental issues on the African continent. Well, today, we're going to be looking at the launch of the African Regional Center of the new BRICS Development Bank. Uh, we know that uh, uh, BRICS is that formation, that new economic uh, uh, formation that is actually trying to assert itself in terms of an economic power in itself. So we're going to be looking at that after our news with Anne Musa. In the headlines, Sierra Leone buries hundreds of victims killed in a mudslide. United Nations inquiry finds two UN investigators were murdered by a group of Congolese, likely militia members from the Central Democratic Republic of Congo. And South Africa urged to take a strong lead in addressing ongoing threats to basic human rights across the Southern African Development Community region. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musa. Facing the looming threat of disease, Sierra Leone has begun burying hundreds of victims killed in a mudslide in one of Africa's worst flood disasters in living memory. More than 400 people have been confirmed dead, at least a quarter of them children, from the devastating mudslide on Monday that was triggered by days of heavy rain. Aid workers say there's a high risk of disease outbreaks such as cholera as corpses are lying out in the open in the heat. A United Nations inquiry has found that two UN investigators were murdered by a group of Congolese, likely militia members from the Central Democratic Republic of Congo. Michael Sharp, an American who was coordinator of an independent sanctions monitoring group and Zeda Catalan, a Swede, were killed in Central Congo on the 12th of March while carrying out investigations for a report to the UN Security Council. The bodies of Sharp and Catalan were found in a shallow grave Two weeks later, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres set up an internal board of inquiry and gave an executive summary of the findings to the Security Council on Tuesday. 
The United Nations Refugee Agency says South Sudan's civil war has forced more than one million people to flee to neighboring Uganda, with another million seeking refuge elsewhere in the region. UNHCR says additional funds are desperately needed to help the refugees flooding into Uganda. Over the past year, an average of 1,800 South Sudanese arrived in Uganda every single day. South Sudan, the world's youngest nation, descended into civil war in December 2003. 13, just two years after it split from the north. Amnesty International says South Africa must take a strong lead in addressing ongoing threats to basic human rights across the Southern African Development Community region. South Africa takes over from Swaziland as chair of the SEDEC regional bloc at a time when several member states, including Angola, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Zambia and Zimbabwe, face major political instability linked to elections that has put freedom of expression, peaceful assembly and association in jeopardy. Amnesty International region Regional Director for Southern Africa, Diproz Muchena, says the, uh, the leadership of Nelson Mandela, the new South Africa, brought hope to the SEDEC region and to the world that human rights violations of the past would be redressed and that there would be justice and equality and respect for the human rights of all. The People's Summit has opened at South Africa's Constitutional Hill in Johannesburg. This is an annual event organized by civil society in the region on the sidelines of the SEDEC meetings. It brings together activists from all over the Southern African region to discuss issues of open borders for Africa, the free movement of people, permits for migrants and refugees, and the integration of migrants and refugees, among many topics. South African activist and keynote speaker at the People's Summit, Trevor Mwane. We face many problems and it is important that we should come together today and tomorrow and the day after to share the burden and the problems that we face. So we must celebrate this meeting for just what it is. Recapping the top stories, Sierra Leone buries hundreds of victims killed in a mudslide. United Nations inquiry finds two UN investigators were murdered by a group of Congolese, likely militia members from the Central Democratic Republic of Congo, and South Africa's urge to take a strong lead in addressing ongoing threats to basic human rights across the Southern African Development Community region. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, as you heard there in that promo, giving you the African perspective. Yes, that's what we're about, telling the African narrative as best as the Africans can themselves. Thank you for joining us on DSTV. Remember, we're on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet, and also you can listen to our stream service on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. Don't forget our shortwave service into the continent. We're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Well, the President of the Republic of South Africa, Jacob Zuma, is uh, scheduled to preside over the launch of the African Regional Center of the new BRICS Development Bank this morning. Actually, I'm seeing in the social media uh, that already he has started addressing the crowds uh, there and the President uh, uh, of uh, uh, the country is actually now uh, South Africa that is, has already started speaking alongside the President of uh, the, uh, the Development Bank himself, uh, uh, Kamatha, who's saying that the establishment of the regional uh, center is a milestone for the bank. And uh, the launch of the center is said to be a platform uh, for BRICS to showcase its services, and it will be central to the developmental uh, projects that will be harnessed by its financing mechanisms. Well, joining us on the line, we're joined by Dr. Petrus de Kock, who is a research manager at Brand South Africa. We also have Lumkile Mondi, who's a Senior Lecturer at the School of Economics and the Business Science of the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg. We also have Dr. Iqbal Serv, who is the Executive Chairperson of Se Gunjalo. Now, let me start with you, uh, Lumkile, in terms of looking at the significance of this particular uh, National Development Bank. I know that it's found a great niche. I know that the first... Uh, uh, Funds have actually gone to renewable energy projects about 75% of its uh, uh, total funding so far has gone towards solar, wind and hydro projects. How important is this particular uh, bank and also the fact that now we've seen this establishment here at the African Regional Center? Well, it's it's just another source of financial um, uh, products, really. So it's it's really very important as a political symbol uh, of the the members of the bank. But beyond that, uh, it's just another source of capital uh, which countries could use to invest on uh, on big projects uh, which are critical for economic development. Uh, so really, that's uh, as far as commercially. Um, its significance is just another source of funding. Uh, so there's nothing major that you can shout home about. Um, uh, but politically, it's a huge symbol providing an alternative to the president's institutions uh, that remain trapped uh, by focusing more on developing countries and very less on developing countries. Isn't that something to shout about, Mkile, that final statement that you just made, that the fact that uh, oh, this establishment of the bank is being motivated by concerns about the World Bank's hegemony and the influence of the U.S. and Europe in the World Bank's operations and decision-making processes? Well, in fact, I mean, for a country like South Africa, which uh, was pivotal uh, to the formation of the personhood uh, system, uh, given that, you know, under General Smart's uh, uh, South Africa was at the table uh, in Massachusetts when this institution was formed. Mm. And, and South Africa has uh, ideologically not, want, uh, not wanted to access funding. So it's never been a problem for South Africa in terms of accessing international capital markets. So 
Uh, that's why for South Africa really it's a political symbol more than any uh, other issue because we have got a huge amount of special human rights. Uh, we've continued even under isolation uh, to contribute to both institutions, the MF and the World Bank. So uh, in that regard, South Africa has relied more on private funding, um, as you've seen with the downgrade from rating mm-hmm. agencies. So South Africa has never had huge problems about access to capital, including under the sanctions, where we've seen that um, our colleague, Hin uh, Fan published a book about uh, corruption and how the apartheid regime broke through uh, financial sanctions to access capital markets and how funds were flowing illegally uh, through corruption in the apartheid state. So really, for South Africa, it's, uh, it's a matter of, um, of uh, another source of funding, as I've said earlier, but uh, politi- and, and politically a symbol, but nothing... Um, of significance because you have access to capital markets. Mm. Let me bring Dr. Iqbal Serv into the conversation, executive chairperson of Sekunjalo. Dr. Iqbal, do you agree with Lumkile Mondi the fact that it's just a political symbol, the establishment of this uh, particular new Brings Development Bank and seeing it actually concentrating its efforts to even establish uh, an African center? So, I mean, I, let me let me just, uh, for the record, say that I'm uh, participating in the call as uh, in my capacity as the chairman of the BRICS Business Council as a chapter. So, in the first instance, uh, uh, it is it is it is um, uh, uh, let's let's examine the reason why the bank started. Sure. Now, one of the reasons why the bank started is because the BRICS Business Council. At its very inception in Durban in 2013, uh, had said that it's important to have uh, uh, a closer funding relationship between the BRICS countries, and this was not to replace uh, the traditional funding um, uh, relationship that the South African or African countries had with, for instance, the World Bank or the IMF or. Um, IFC or similar uh, such multilateral institutions. Uh, the purpose of the of the of the new development bank, and and it's important to note that it's not called the BRICS Bank, but the New Development Bank, for the very simple reason that the 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 the, the funding that has been uh, uh, pulled together by the BRICS countries is for funding projects not just of the five BRICS countries, but of also countries outside uh, of the current BRICS framework. So the important thing is for us is that as South Africans and as Africans, uh, we need FDI into our economies. We need to have um, uh, funding of um, uh, infrastructure projects, of renewable energy projects, of the oceans, economies, uh, etc., in order to create jobs and in order to reindustrialize economies, and in particular the period in our history where our economies have been deindustrialized. So the New Development Bank is another avenue mm. uh, to tap into global capital markets uh, of which, uh, uh, you know, we, 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 of course, have contributed to the New Development Bank. But it's important for us to tap into these markets uh, to be able to access funding for key development projects. The first phase of the New Development Bank, focus on public sector driven projects 
uh, in particular in, in the areas of um, renewable energy, infrastructure, power generation, mobility and transport, etc. The second generation uh, projects will involve the private sectors on the African economy. So uh, whilst I think uh, some commentators, without having a clear understanding mm. of the uh, genesis of the bank or the development of the bank or the framework uh, which the bank operates under, uh, seem to see it as a simple alternative world bank. That is far from reality, mm. far, far from the truth. Um, it's just that we're balancing our economy to be both uh, an economy mm. that is uh, allied to both uh, the West and the East and the South. That's all it is. Mm. Dr. Petrus, let me bring you into this conversation. Your thoughts around uh, uh, the significance of uh, this uh, new BRICS uh, development yeah. bank and also the importance of the fact that it also is going to be established right here in South Africa in terms of uh, the African Regional Center itself mm. is going to be a position right here in South mm. Africa. Yes, you know, I thank you for the invite to contribute. You know, this uh, issue is a very, very important one, you know, and I, I just want to connect with uh, the chair of the South African uh, branch of the Business Council. Um, you know, if you look at the history of the development of the BRICS, and I think it's important for us to maybe just have a quick historical context here. There's kind of three phases of the BRICS that we look at in terms of its development. 2001 to 2007, it was the four countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, um, by around uh, later on, South Africa got joined, uh, and then we, we got to the BRICS. But you know what's very interesting about the development of the BRICS? It started off kind of as an informal club of nations. The four nations uh, got together with a certain intention of developing this platform. South Africa joined, and if you look at the evolution of the organization, we are really looking at the BRICS at this point in time as emerging as a new global governance platform, which is very interesting and important. And in that picture, the bank then, and the decision to, to create the bank, as the, the, the previous comments indicated, is, yes, there's a political symbolic side to it. You know, however, I think given patterns of change in the global economy, given the need for us as developing nations to develop much deeper and substantive cultural, economic, business contacts with each other, we cannot for a moment underestimate the importance of the bank, the contingency reserve mechanism that was created by the BRICS to help countries, the uh, member countries that arrive maybe at a point of a financial crisis or some form of a, a liquidity crisis in the economy. But then lastly, what I want to add here is also when you look in July of this year, there was a release made by the bank where they were projecting forward, you know, in 2017, there was about 15 projects uh, uh, approved. Um, and it's expected that by 2021, there would be a 50, uh, about 50 projects um, uh, run by the bank or funded by the bank to the tune of about 44.5 billion US dollars. So what this is telling me is that as developing nations, we are actually breaking new ground. Because, and why do I say that? Given the history of Washington consensus, Bretton Woods institutions, we respect those. We respect those structures of uh, global financing and cooperation and so forth. And I think, however, as the, 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 the challenges that we have as developing societies, um, we can never have enough of these new kinds of initiatives to help us with infrastructure development, mm -hmm. which ultimately builds into the bigger picture of human development. Mm -hmm. and as you know, on the African continent, that remains our most, uh, I would say, mission-critical sure. 
uh, objective that mm-hmm. we need to uh, work towards. Well, that's the voice of Dr. Petrus de Kock, who is the researcher manager for Brand South Africa. And also I have Lumki Lemondi on the line, senior lecturer at the School of Economics and Business Science of the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg. Also on the line is Dr. Iqbal Serv, who's the chair of the BRICS Business Council. Well, I'm going to take a quick break. We'll be back and discuss the various views that are coming from our guests. Lumki is saying that it's not really much of a, a big hoo-ha. It's just a, a shift in terms of a funding mechanism where Dr. Iqbal Serv is very much coming with a different view, saying this is more poised uh, at actually uh, feeding uh, the development agenda on the African continent. And the Dr. Petrus de Kock agrees with that sentiment from uh, Dr. Serv. Let me take a quick break and I'll be back. This is Channel Africa. South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English. Giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. (laughs) Agro-Africa. Hello. From the first Wednesday of this month, Agro-Africa will be coming to you at 9.20 a.m. Central African time and on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Central African time. Tune in to Agro-Africa and listen to stories about agriculture and its development in the African continent. We are on shortwave, internet live streaming and DSTV audio bouquet channel 802. Agro-Africa, bringing agriculture to the comfort of your home. Agro-Africa. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Today, we're looking at the launch, which is underway uh, right now, uh, of the African Regional Center in South Africa uh, of uh, the New Branks Development Bank. And uh, I am seeing some uh, posts that already, as I mentioned earlier on, that uh, uh, the president of South Africa was on the podium uh, to launch the BRICS African Regional uh, Center in Johannesburg. He's been saying that uh, it's a historical day and uh, he says this is a critical milestone not only for South Africa but also for African, uh, for the African continent as a whole. And uh, he continues to say that uh, uh, discussions of establishing uh, the new development bank in Durban uh, in 2013 has been actually one that's been a continuous thing. And it's, I think, is uh, a bit elated that uh, in 2017 this fulfilled 
fulfillment has actually been established. If you're just joining us now, let me remind you who's on the line. Dr. Petrus de Kock is the research manager for Brand South Africa. Lumkile Mond is on the line with us as well, senior lecturer at the School of Economics and Business Science of, of the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg. Dr. Iqbal Serv is joining us. He's the chair of the BRICS uh, Business Council. Now, in terms of how this uh, particular uh, center will work, and also I'm sure it will coincide with the functions of uh, the Development Bank itself, Dr. Iqbal Serv, people may be asking, you know, they want to know the details of the funding, the structure, and the, ma- the mandate you've highlighted, but really the funding mechanisms and the structure of how uh, uh, these uh, funding mechanisms are going to be implemented are still uh, really some areas where people don't understand how it will actually uh, unfold. Yeah, so uh, the, the, the African Regional Center, which is being launched today by President Zuma, and the CEO of the bank, Mr. Caval, is precisely to allow uh, African uh, companies, governments, uh, state-owned enterprises to uh, access the bank's funding uh, within the region itself. So as you know, the bank is headquartered in Shanghai, and um, one of the objectives of the bank is to have regional centers in the five BRICS countries uh, so so that um, the projects that are put forward to the bank, and this is the point I really have to make, is that um, how much uh, funding uh, uh, the, the countries are able to receive from the bank depends upon the countries themselves, either through their state-owned enterprises um, or through the uh, private sector operating in those countries uh, uh, making applications to the bank. And the bank, like all banks, uh, development banks have an agenda, have a, have a, you know, the cost of capital is, is reasonably uh, competitive, and also take a long-term view uh, on projects. And, and I think uh, we have a wonderful opportunity as Africans, and in particular South Africans, to be able to uh, apply to the bank and the African Regional Center which has been launched today uh, for our various projects. And we could do so not exclusively in that the bank could also fund parts of projects in, 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 in partnership with other DFIs, other uh, you know, development financing institutions, such as, for instance, the IDC, the Development Bank, the Land Bank, um, uh, similar institutions uh, that are existing, as well as the private sector. The bank will not necessarily act uh, you know, alone, uh, it will it will work, uh, you know, with um, other institutions. Mm. And uh, I want to come to you, Lumkile, uh, there on the line in terms of uh, your predictions. We've already heard how it's going to be working from Dr. Iqbal Serv, but do you think it will ultimately grow in significance and, and global visibility? Maybe in, uh, in, in, in other countries. I think, I mean, if you look at Africa, uh, really, um, <laughs> from the 60s, when, when many African countries got independence, mm-hmm. um, the inter-Africa trade remains uh, benign. Um, the linkages uh, amongst ourselves is a huge challenge. Um, and the, the, the countries remain trapped uh, with millions of our people 
uh, marginalized by the very governments that are supposed uh, to be driving a developmental agenda. We know very well that in South Africa, similarly, the SOEs have had a huge leakage um, in terms of the funds that are supposed to go to infrastructure, going to people's pockets and those that are politically linked. So until Africans develop their own institutions uh, and take ownership using their own funds, I think, you know, these banks can all march from around. Uh, it's all in our hands, African, it's in African hands, to put their money where their mouth is and develop their institution and invest and have governance and transparency in how they use public funds. So really, for me, as I said earlier, this is a symbolical panel uh, for South Africa because there's so much liquidity in our country. Uh, but for the rest of Africa, uh, we know there's huge challenges around governance, around accountability, mm-hmm. um, and therefore, you know, uh, and Africa has to get control around these issues and put its own money. It's, that is when it will develop. Uh, why does Africa have to rely outside, from outsiders all the time to get going? We need to build our own. We need to build our own capability, invest in our own people, and therefore uh, develop. So all the institutions, such as this one that's been launched today, and many others that we've seen, including African Development Bank, have not had the major impact that we require as Africans because we don't make the right decision on people that we elect into government. government. Once Africans are in power, they look after themselves and their Mm, families. mm, mm, Uh, mm. So I remain very pessimistic about Mm. Africa's prospects. Um, unless it's being driven by Africans we're taking the risk and accountability on our own. Mm. The reliance on any other institutions outside the new one that we need to create, I think, will all be dismal. Mm. Well, that is the view coming there from Lukile Mondi, still very much, uh, uh, very not so positive about this establishment. Uh, but before we go to Dr. Petrus de Kock and get his insights, I just want us to dip into the speech of uh, the President of the Republic of South Africa, uh, Jacob Zuma, who's speaking at the, the launch of uh, uh, this uh, African uh, Regional Center of this uh, BRICS uh, Development Bank. This tragic realities highlight the need for new and sustainable solutions. We therefore call on the New Development Bank and like-minded institutions to test new boundaries, explore new possibilities, and deliver sustainable solutions that will better serve humanity. I've been very happy, Mr. President, for you to make an important point that this bank will deal with countries, in some cases, on the local currencies. I think that is indeed a new outlook, a new approach that says the finances of this bank are there to help people to develop, to assist them, not to put them into more burdens by saying look for a particular currency which they don't have. This is an indication of the new approach by this new bank. 
Well, that is the voice of uh, the uh, President of uh, South Africa. They're at the launch of uh, the African Regional Center of the New BRICS Development Bank. And uh, uh, he was speaking there around uh, this particular issue is one that uh, concerns Lumkile himself. And I think it also concerns me and the fact that uh, the President says that uh, this uh, uh, bank and uh, this regional center will be... uh, really focus at helping people and developmental uh, focused but maybe that's where the crux of the matter is the problem and I understand what Lumkil is highlighting Dr. Petrus de Kock the fact that sometimes these projects become very much an elite uh, elitist take on an elitist form they can be bourgeoisie and they can benefit a few and uh, how do we make sure that they are people centric and they are uh, really focused on uplifting communities well look I think I want to pick up on a statement the president made in his speech you know that we are testing new um, the boundaries here or kind of pushing certain boundaries now look I think none of us would disagree with the point that we need accountability and transparency on the African continent you know if you just look at mechanisms like the Ibrahim index of African governance that tests exactly that you know how uh, do we as African states deliver public goods and services to our citizens because it works on the basic assumption that each and every African citizen has the right to access those public goods and services. However, <clears throat> having said that, I'm also very uncomfortable and I've always been very uncomfortable with this kind of blanket statements, you know, that Africa cannot do this or Africa cannot do that. I think nothing can be further from the truth. If you look at just the operations of Ecobank, Uh, from Nigeria, uh, across the regions where it's active. If you look at the operations of Kenyan banks within the East African region, if you look at the operations of South African banks, go to Stanbic Bank, for example, that got its banking license in Cote d'Ivoire just last year, which was a phenomenal breakthrough for Mm. the bank. And for the country, by the way, if you look at the impact that that one bank's operations have in terms of opening new business facilities, supporting a whole host of interventions at an economic level in countries. I really think we need to think very carefully before we make those kind of statements. But then I will go back to what I say, that yes, we need to push on the boundary of accountability, transparency, and that ultimately the benefits of these kind of projects do go to the people that need it. Now, having said that, Going back to one of the statements by uh, uh, Lubkile, you know, if you look at the evolution just in a country like Kenya of its infrastructure profile and the impact that has had on direct human development interventions, you will not solve the problems of African poverty in one or two years. These kind of institutions like the Development Bank of Southern Africa, the IDC, the New Development Bank, the African Development Bank, yes, you can ask the question, so where has the benefits gone? But now my counter question then is, what work are we actually doing to understand the operations of those institutions, to go and look exactly at where do they invest and what's the benefits of that? You understand what I mean? I really, I just want to get that statement out there. We must be very careful on how we uh, position ourselves because we are then casting doubt on ourselves and people listen to Africans when we make these statements from the outside and then they doubt us because we doubt ourselves. 
that's my statement on that. Well, that is uh, the voice of Dr. Petrus de Kock. I'm going to come back to Dr. Iqbal serve after uh, that uh, the break that we're going to because I want to hear his views on uh, this particular issue of accountability and how do we aim to ensure that uh, uh, these projects are aimed at uh, uh, development Patel projects that will actually harness the lives of ordinary Africans. It's 11.35 Central African time. I'm going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and uh, finish off this uh, conversation with our guests. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us. Just a reminder of our social media, at Channel Africa 1 is our Twitter handle, or at African Dialogue. Uh, that's where you can uh, be part of the Channel Africa family. We also want you to join us on our Facebook page. We've got that Facebook page simply titled Channel Africa. And uh, today we're discussing the launch of the African Regional Center of the New Bricks Development Bank, which is actually uh, being launched right now as we speak, I'm looking at my television set, uh, uh, the president of South Africa is still speaking there. And alongside him is uh, uh, the president of the BRICS Development Bank, uh, Kundapur uh, Vaman Kamath, who is uh, there with him, alongside him amongst cabinet ministers, bank executives, and other dignitaries that are launching this bank. We're looking at uh, the fine details of what is this African regional center and how important is this new BRICS Development Bank varying views that are coming from our guests uh, uh, today. Dr. Iqbal Surf, they've been, uh, we've been on this theme right now in terms of accountability, transparency, and the issue of making sure that these projects are real, uh, real projects that are really going to affect ordinary lives and they're not going to take the form of uh, uh, the bourgeoisie uh, kind of projects that we start seeing in, in Africa as a whole that where these projects benefit a few well you know there are certain assumptions that you are making and um, one of the panelists is making uh, I, I think this uh, it shows a complete ignorance of how multilateral institutions operate uh, first of all these are banks uh, projects that get submitted to the banks have to uh, go through a very thorough feasibility and due diligence process. Uh, this is not something that you can simply come to the bank and say, hey, will you fund this without going through? I mean, the average lead time for each of these projects could be between six to 18, six months to 18 months. Uh, secondly, the projects are primarily in the first phase mm. aimed at structures such as roads, transport, locomotives, power, oceans economy, ports, uh, uh, renewable energy, etc. It's not specifically aimed uh, in, in a consumer-driven uh, businesses. So uh, certainly in time to come it will partner with the private sector. 
I mean, the third thing is that, um, you know, there are two ways of looking at the African continent and, in, and South Africa itself. Um, we have to recognize that um, some of our state-owned enterprises have not operated according to proper governance standards, and certainly they have not operated efficiently and optimally. But we also cannot say because they have not done that, uh, we should not be uh, supporting the the funding of projects which are really important for our people Mm. in order to take them out of poverty, in order to electrify, in order to create the infrastructure, in order to industrialize our economy. So so we have to be forward-looking. And, of course, we have to put in place the necessary uh, governance structures and accountability structures uh, when we do all of this. But we must must be very careful that uh, we don't, you know, play the man, that we actually play the ball. So, so what we need to look at is the example of China, for instance, where from 1987, China was one of the most um, uh, poorest countries in the world in terms of uh, both GDP and GDP per capita. <laughs> its commitment towards a massive industrialization uh, of its economy and foreign direct investment and capital inflows into that economy uh, resulted in China today becoming the world's second largest economy and at the same time taking 400 million people out of poverty. Now, there are clear lessons for us um, in how we implement infrastructure projects, how we implement large-scale projects. And, of course, one of the critical things is to ensure that the projects are beneficial to people, that the projects have accountability and they have the right um, uh, structures. That, I think, is is how we should approach this. We should not simply say because our experience uh, on the continent in the past or historically uh, has been a negative one when it's come to funding of, of infrastructure projects that we should, uh, you know, not, uh, not do that going forward. The truth is that Africa today is very diff- different to the Africa of the past. Uh, today, the Ethiopians are building one of the largest dams ever by themselves. Today, there are huge power structure, power projects, refinery projects taking place in Nigeria. In Kenya, there's huge mobility, Ghana, uh, infrastructure projects, etc. So Africa today, and, and the African uh, electorate populace, is in fact very different. And yes, Africa, which is fifth, more than 50 countries, is not perfect. And yes, we still have leadership on the continent that, uh, that needs to, 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 to you know, really uh, uh, become uh, you know, more in tune with the needs of the, the continent. But we have a right of the continent because of that. Um, we cannot take a Eurocentric view. Uh, and we certainly, you know, it is quite ironic that until the new development bank was formed, uh, no one questioned the World Bank when the World Bank funded many projects in Africa which were inherently corrupt. And no one you know, questioned uh, these institutions. Suddenly the new development bank is formed and suddenly people are saying, hey, we must have this accountability, that accountability. I think, frankly, people, people don't understand uh, what they're talking about. And I think it's very dangerous when, when you start talking politics uh, and mixing that with development economics, you know. Uh, and people sometimes uh, um, confuse what happens uh, at a political level in a country with what is the requirement 
of a country from a development point of view. Uh, and that's a tragedy that the best intentions of uh, some of our commentators actually uh, can be incredibly misleading. Uh, the, the reality is that capital inflows into economies are absolutely critical. The funding of projects, you know. Are you there, are you there Doctor? Are you there, Dr. Uh, Sir? I think we've lost Dr. Survey there. Uh, that's Dr. Iqbal Survey, who is the uh, chair of the BRICS uh, uh, Business uh, Council there. That's how I'm going to wrap up the conversation indeed. I think that uh, he, he came to a conclusion there for us. Uh, I thank you as well to Lumkile Mondi, who's the senior lecturer of the School of Economics and Business Science of the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, giving us a critical view. As well, as well thank you to Dr. Petrus de Kock, research manager, Brand South Africa, also uh, giving us his insights and critical aspects of uh, uh, the significance of this African regional center of the new BRICS development bank. Well, I'm going to wrap it up because it's time for us to move on. Uh, thank you to our guests. Uh, it's almost 11.45. Remember, we want you to connect with us. Uh, uh, Channel Africa is our Facebook page. You can also tweet us at Channel Africa 1. That's the numeric one. At Channel Africa 1 or at African Dialogue. That's our uh, program's uh, Twitter handle at African Dialogue. It's almost 11.45 Central African time. Wisani Matebula is with us there in the background. He's getting ready to give us our business news. Good morning. Thanks, Benjamin. The launch of African Regional Center for the New Development Bank is currently underway in Senton, north of Johannesburg in South Africa. South African President Jacob Zuma is presiding over the launch. BRICS countries signed an agreement establishing the New Development Bank at the 6th BRICS Summit in July 2014. The 7th BRICS Summit marked the entry into force of the agreement on the bank. The new development bank headquarters were officially opened in Shanghai in China in February 2016. Amina Akram reports. The long-awaited Africa's BRICS Bank headquarters will officially be opened this week in Johannesburg. The bank is expected to play a major role in development finance for the continent. But for the meantime, it will only lend to its BRICS members. The South African rent has hit a fresh one-week high as diminishing U.S. rate hike bets hit the dollar, giving a further booster to the local unit's recent rally, propelled by signs that the economy was in a recovery mode and easing political tensions. The rent has been trading at 13.3 uh, per dollar, 0.32% firmer than its overnight close and trading at its firmest levels since August 8. Minutes from the U.S. Federal Reserve's last policy meeting showed policymakers were increasingly wary of recent softness in inflation and could delay a rate hike, triggering the dollar weakness. And Namibia's Ministry of Agriculture has announced new operations and management for the Oshakati and Katimamlilo state abattoirs in the capital, Vendhoek. The abattoirs will be operational by the end of October and be funded by the European Development Fund. Tabi Sulehuku reports. Polly Ipinje, Chief Executive Officer of the Oshakati Eloro Abattoir, will be in charge of the Oshakati facility while Chilinda Alfred, Chairperson of the Zambezi Meat Corporation, 
will be operating the Katima Mulilo Abato. Oshakati Abato spokesperson Sikunawa Negumbo says that they aim to assist the farmers who have not been selling their livestock to realize maximum returns. Ipinje says most people in the northern regions rely on animal production to make a living. I'm Tabisolo Hoko for Channel Africa in Johannesburg. And preparations are in top gear for the second East African Business and Entrepreneurship Conference and exhibition to be held in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania at the end of next month. East African Business Council's Chief Executive Lillian Awinja says the conference is a platform for financiers and innovators to strengthen entrepreneurship in East Africa, a regional one-stop center for investment and trade opportunities. The three-day conference to be held on September 26 to 28 will be co-organized by the East African Community, the Tanzania Investment Center, and the Tanzania Private Sector Foundation. And all prices have edged up, clawing back some ground after losses in the previous session. Traders say the market is range-bound as falling crude inventories provided price support while high output was capping gains. Brent crude features are at 50.44 US dollars per barrel, up 17 cents or 0.3 cents from their last close. Financial indicators say the dollar trading at 13.24 South African rents, 10.14 Botswana Pula and 8.95 the, against the Zambian Kwacha. Also trading at 0.77 to the British pound and 0.85 against the euro. Commodities, gold $1,272, platinum $968 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil has gone down by two notches. It traded at $52 yesterday and now it's at $50.98 per barrel. That's how it's looking right now. There's Fikile Lingwati at the back of this with your sports update. Now, sports update this hour. South African University water polo coach Von Malo says his team will take it one game at a time at the upcoming World Student Games. The 29th edition of the Biennial Games will take place in Taipei starting from Saturday up until the 31st of August. Yeah, we've, we've actually just finished speaking to all of our guys now and you know, we, we're trying not to think you know, two, three, four games ahead, and actually you want to take 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 things one game at a, one game at a time. Set set small targets within within the the individual games and build on that. And you know, we we'll reevaluate things day by day. I think, as as Paul mentioned, we we've got a, a tough but good situation in that we're in the hardest pool which means we play the, the two traditionally strongest nations in the world in our group and then we, we don't get knocked out. We, we play across into, by all accounts, what is a much easier group. So I think realistically in terms of targets within the actual tournament itself, we'll only start looking at that once, the, once we start getting into, into playoff games. But for now, if we can continue to develop, to develop and grow as a team within the next 
three three official matches, two training matches. That's that that's that's a win for us. We don't want to look any any further than that, really. South African World Long Jump Champion Luvo Manyonga prevailed in difficult conditions to win the long jump with the best attempt of 8.46 meters at a specially organized event by TJ's Ski Resort in the French Alb. Leroy Newton, Manyonga's agent, reckons the jump could have been close to Powell's world record or even further, but even if Manyonga had not understepped or overstepped, rather, it would not have been official as the wind from behind was way too strong. Cafetine Gomez of France was second with the best attempt of 8.22 meter. Emiliano Lassa of Uruguay was third, jumping at 8.18 meter. And Damar Forbes fourth with a jump of 8.06 meter. And on to cycling news, Team Dimension Data for Kubega, Principal Doug, Douglas Ryder, says he is delighted with the team selected for the upcoming Volta Espana starting from the 19th of August up until the 10th of September. Ryder says 2016 was a year that fulfilled many dreams and outperformed the expectations as a team with their partners and the Kubega charity. He says their goal for 2017 is to be even better together. Ryder explains. We're looking forward to a strong performance. It's a very, very hard tourist band, incredibly hilly. So the riders that we picked to go and race this race are all good climbers with only one sprinter. So, you know, it is a, it is a very mountainous race, very tough race, and we're hoping to try and do, try and do well and try and, you know, represent Dimension Data and, and uh, the Quebec charity at the highest level again in, a, in the last Grand Tour of the year. England's cricketers have admitted that they will be taking a leap in the dark when the country hosts its first day-night test with a pink ball against the West Indies this week. Few England players have any experience with the ball, which will be the centre of attention when the first test gets underway at Edgbaston today. England seamer Chris Woke says betting in the twilight period will be difficult as the ball moves around. I haven't experienced it just yet apart from a train last night and it did move around a bit you know during that twilight period so um yeah I suppose that's the time to bowl um you know I suppose it's not as easy to just say yeah we're going to bowl in that that period um you know you might have to bat under that those conditions as well so I suppose the more we can get used to it you know using it in this these practice sessions the better for us but um yeah it's a little bit unknown as to how it reacts so we'll we'll, we'll find out Manufacturers say the new balls should be easier to pick up in all conditions and England wicketkeeper Johnny Bester says fielding sides may benefit. The Edgbaston game will be cricket's fifth day-night test but the first played with a Duke's ball, the make traditionally used in England. Yeah, I mean it's important for us as players to entertain. Of course we're in the entertainment business um, and people want to see entertaining games and you know, fingers crossed the pink, the pink ball does give that uh, over the next five days. Um, and like you say, for us as players, we want to entertain. So hopefully it's entertaining. Hopefully it lasts five days. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. I think everyone's excited. I know everyone's excited in the dressing room. And as I've mentioned, the vibe around Edgebaston is fantastic. You always get a good atmosphere here. That's your sport news this hour.
Well, that's how we wrap it up for this week. Remember, tomorrow we won't be having a show. It's Friday. We'll be back on Monday with more uh, topics on the African continent. It has to do with African politics, socio-economic issues, and the geopolitical uh, space that we find ourselves all around the world. I think uh, it's very interesting to also see what's happening in the U.S. It has been devastating uh, to see some of uh, uh, the racial uh, onslaughts that are happening in that country and just how... Uh, Donald Trump has been criticized and that hopefully we'll be able to look at that next week. I'm not quite sure yet, so I can't promise you that we'll be looking at that. But that's something uh, to actually look at if it's possible for us next week. But do join us again next week. Same place, same time. Right here on Channel Africa. We'll end it with Lucky Dube. This one is titled Money, Money, Money.